0: Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. It is always an honor to be with all of you. And thank you for joining me. And uh, uh, sad to say that jihad is back in the news, that radical Islam is back in the news, that the disease we've not treated. Is back on the top of the fold, and we've been talking about a lot of these things here. And uh, hopefully, uh, you will get a different point of view—a point of view of an American Muslim patriot, somebody who's an American first. And it's not about partisan politics. It's about what is the America we know and what strategy we should be taking. Boy, since we've talked last. It has gone from beyond a foreign policy bungle to actually being a horrific disaster that laid our troops out for horror, for open attack by terrorists. Thought to be ISIS-K, we'll talk about what that is. But bottom line is, is it was a magnet for every militant that wants to make a name for themselves, a brand for themselves in the wake and the vacuum and the suction of of America's departure. And this week, with over 200 dead, 13 American service members slain, our prayers go out to them, to their families. Unnecessary increase in Gold Star families. Because President Biden's administration refused to do things thoughtfully, to look at America first, refused to have people in charge that were actually adults in the State Department and in the DOD. I have to tell you, as a former naval officer, I have been disgusted by some of the press conferences, by some of the... Strategic responses that our military generals and admirals, Admiral Milley, what a bizarre! I I just cannot believe the responses that they've been giving, saying that they never thought it would be this accelerated, the stepping down of the Afghani of of the Afghani government and population against the Taliban. Oh, really? That's what we are to believe? We are to believe that for 20 years we didn't have the capability to figure out a way in which we would do a public handoff region to region in that country so that there would be no doubt about the ownership of that country as we departed and finished our mission. And to anyone that says it couldn't have been done any differently, you are not only in denial with blinders, you are pathetically... Ignorant of the reality on the ground there. Even look at Iraq. President Obama did everything to try to bungle Iraq, but the bottom line is is we ended up having a surge or so. And then ultimately publicly handed over the government of Iraq to the Iraqi people. Now, a couple years later, it's obviously in the hands of Iran. A couple years later, obviously, we've lost strategic influence in the region as they have been using Iraq as a conduit to get troops to Syria and continue the slaughter there. But all of that has to do with the subservience we've had due to the Obama administration before the Trump administration, as we withdrew out of Iraq, the subservience we had at the altar of the nuclear deal. There's always some type of foreign policy reason in which things are bungled. But at the end of the day... The withdrawal process, simply looking at a withdrawal process, Iraq lays a good example of what can happen. Now, even with that, we left a vacuum in northern Iraq, and then ISIS filled in. ISIS filled in because of conflict in, their, in the country neighboring them in Syria. Uh, but the bottom line is, is that they saw the absence of America. They saw... The jihadists ascending from Iran and elsewhere, and they saw an ability to fill that vacuum. And similarly, if there's there's many things that can characterize jihadists as we begin to relearn what we should have learned now, almost twenty years post nine eleven. But one of the things is is they love. Not only does nature abhor a vacuum, jihadists love to fill it because. They can't ascend on their own. They don't have massive militaries, but they can terrorize and they can adjudicate their medieval, barbaric interpretation of Sharia law when there is chaos, when there is a failed state, when there is weapons left behind that become theirs. It is amazing the number of weapons that were left behind 600,000 weapons by the U.S. troops. 600,000 weapons. 75,000 vehicles. Maybe numbers of 6 to 12 helico I, Who knows how many uh, um, airplanes, helicopters, and otherwise were left that they're now going to use. report recently said that From Open Books by Adam Ezerjewski, he said they now control over 75,000 military vehicles, 50,000 tactical vehicles, 20,000 Humvees. They control about 1,000 mine-resistant vehicles, and they even have about 150 armed personnel carriers. The U.S. has spent $83 billion on Afghani security forces through training and equipment. We built them a pretty amazing war chest, and now all of it's in the hands of the Taliban. I mean, just simply on the honor of spending an investment that the American citizens paid for, there should have been an ability to transfer that to the people that we meant it to be for. But unfortunately, the Biden administration and his Harvard progressivists who know nothing about foreign policy and little even less about political Islam and jihad and otherwise, simply surrendered. They turned their back on the country. They turned their back on the investment that we put in there and just evacuated on a dime. Nobody's saying we should have stayed there. Nobody's saying that we should have continued this indefinite expenditure of an occupation that we had. Absolutely not. And nobody's saying that if we had done it even perfectly that the Taliban may not have taken over in a year or two. But at least then the investment would have been optimized. Andrew continues, We know that last month, as late as July, seven new helicopters were being delivered in the capital city of Kabul. His watchdog was unable to tally up the equipment left behind completely, but said that the numbers are not complete. What is going to happen next, ladies and gentlemen? What's the next shoe to drop? Again, our prayers are to the souls of our men and women that have died unnecessarily in this war and unnecessarily because of political decisions made by President Biden last week. Those soldiers' lives are on his hands. 13 service members died because of a ISIS bomber that attacked and killed over 200 people. We didn't need to have a choke point in Kabul, surrounded by a massive city, surrounded by inability to control ingress and egress and all the other things that, are, that terrorists just dream of. Could have been done mostly out of Bagram. Could have been done methodically and slowly to limit a skeleton crew to maintain military dominance, and then a public departure. But no, as we got close to the day, it was sort of like leaving uh, uh, um, the beach on a vacation where you say, everybody, we're leaving now. And you let everybody know. And now they're talking about a massive airlift of over 100,000 people and slapping each other on the back that somehow they have done so great in this departure. Oh, really? 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 Now we are going to be happy about what has transpired in this departure? They could not screw it up anymore. And it's been screwed up on so many levels. Screwed up on the levels that include our military that I, you know, you wonder what has happened. I've talked to some military experts and said, listen, I was just a doc in the Navy. I'm not a military strategist. But I don't remember when we went to Somalia, for example, in 93. I don't remember us pulling out the MedCaps, for example, medical community assistance programs. I don't remember leaving them and taking the military folks out first and then telling them to come out in whatever way they could. We pulled out the volunteers. We pulled out the, the, the contractors first. And last was the most armed and potent military defense that we had on the ground. And even with that, our troops got dragged through the streets. But that was... Because we were not fighting it fully, with, of capacity, because it was thought to be simply a food mission to help a famine, and it turned out to be a, the food that was used as a weapon between tribes, and we again got caught in the crossfire. Loss of life was sad, unnecessary, but it was limited. What happened this week will go down, this month what will go down in history as one of the worst foreign policy, domestic, and global defense errors, miscalculations, debacles in the history of the United States of America. And it's going to affect our policy. What is the effect that all of this is going to have on our policy, on our security. Islamists will no longer feel that they can't set up shop and become havens for terrorism because because they know that the U.S. military might respond surgically here or there. We responded twice, I guess, this week to ISIS-K, ISIS-Khorasan. It's the branch of the caliphate desirees in the Afghani area that reject the Islamists of Afghanistan, reject a national Afghanistan state, and actually pledged allegiance to Baghdadi. And when ISIS was surging, they decided to grab that wave and surge with them. But then when ISIS went dormant, was decimated by Secretary Petraeus and the rest of the DOD, thanks to The Trump administration's ability to make priorities and move things forward there to decimate them as Assad refused to, as Iraq did not have the capacity to or the will. ISIS-K went away. They went dormant. They went underground. And God knows how big they are. Probably just a band of few hundred for all we know. But the bottom line is, is now where the vacuum comes, they were almost forced to do something. And it's not just ISIS-K, it could be Al-Qaeda, it could be the branches of Al-Qaeda, other jihadis, militant, violent jihadis that were forced to begin to act because now is the opportunity for them to do something because America was so weakened, America was turning away so quickly and was going to leave no matter what. We were handing over American names to the Taliban, to get permission for them to allow their egress through checkpoints. Yes. Another crime that will need to be adjudicated by the Congress if they care about making sure that negligence, malpractice, and malfeasance by our leadership from the Biden administration on down is, is punished where punishment is due. But now the radical jihadists are going to fill those gaps. The radical jihadists are going to act, and they acted swiftly. Even with the announcement, we knew the day before there was a threat at the airport. They told American citizens to stop coming down. And even with that, they knew and we acted. To protect our forces, and it wasn't enough. The car bomb, the suicide bomber got through. What's next? Nobody knows. We still have the August 31st deadline pending. Biden doesn't have the courage, doesn't have the wherewithal, the clarity to fight it, to push back. And is that date set in stone? I mean, really, we're going to let, we are going to allow the Taliban to dictate to us when we have to depart, yes, we told them August 31st, but obviously we're on our way out. We, we didn't even respond swiftly to the Taliban when they were probably complicit in what happened with the bombing from ISIS-K. Complicit in that, how did that truck get through their watch points, their checkpoints? It's a mess. Bottom line is, is, we should move the date and say that we're going to stay there as long as it takes for us to get our people out safely. If that's September 4th, if that's September 10th, so be it. That's the way leadership should be, and our military should be telling them the same thing. But that's not what we're hearing. As time goes on now, it's becoming more and more clear what exactly we did wrong in Afghanistan, not only over the 20 years, and I'm going to talk to you about that more in the next program when we look at the lessons learned 20 years after 9-11. But in the short term, Come on. We lost our political will to stay there, and it's the right thing to move out. But to turn on a dime? Depart immediately? Evacuate with the military leaving first on closing the wrong airbase It just doesn't make any sense. It's just incompetence and, and, and amateur theater. And it's going to have an impact on us for many years to come. Tipping point, August 2021 which will be looked back in 2030, 2040, as a time in which America retreated. God knows what our political landscape will be like at that time. God knows what ascendancy the jihadists will have. Because at the end of the day, we did not wage the war of ideology. We did not wage the war against political Islam, the true cancerous source of radical Islam. The supremacist idea that they want to create Islamic states, jihadi states, sharia states, whether it's the Taliban or the Muslim Student Association. They're students of a different flavor, but they all want the same meal, which is a nation-state based in sharia, based in an Islamic state. Some might appear to be more civil, more so-called democratic. Democratic simply meaning election, not liberal ideas, not liberalism. And we never fought that with a muscular liberalism. And if there's one thing that will probably come out of this abysmal failure of a departure, this debacle will be an American awakening, I believe, to the need for a Muslim reform movement. To a need. At this time, more than ever, Americans are beginning to realize that there is no military solution to the problem of political Islam, that this whack-a-mole program, program will continue indefinitely with failed states, cells that crop up, former prisoners that come out to then do more jihad, whichever way you want to look at it, micro failures or macro failures, we will never win this until we focus with a laser focus and hundreds of scholars studying sharia studying political islam in washington not just one or two that have to do it underground because they're worried about being called anti-muslim bigots not just one or two that are then are then attacked by the woke because they are countering political islam and they the the idea then comes that somehow this must be anti-muslim that is exactly what the organization of islamic cooperation wants you to believe the theocrats the monarchs the thugs the fascists that are running islamic countries muslim majority countries want you to believe that any criticism of islam is anti-religious is anti-islam is anti-prophet muhammad you must hate the tradition of muslims and islam if you criticize the islamic state concept and as I've said many times on this program, leaders like Abdurrahman Wahid, former president of Indonesia in the late 90s, said you can have an Islamic state, you can have a state of Islam in your in your heart, but we do not ever need an Islamic state. You can have an Islamic state, a state of Islam in your mind, in your heart, but you do not ever need an Islamic state because freedom it's about separating mosque and state. Indonesia is one of the only Muslim-majority countries that actually separates its national identity from its religious identity. And there's so much more maturation that has to happen. But when we approach Muslims, when we approach the Islamic world, we've had this bizarre concept that we could either bomb them or defeat the militants and then mission accomplished. Remember that banner, right? We thought Saddam would be gone and Iraq would be some Jeffersonian democracy. Forget the hundreds of years, thousands of years of tribal corruption that have decimated them and then the lack of reform and modernization of Islamic thought that has followed the last centuries. So we cannot have an ahistorical approach to Muslims, to Islam. We need to understand where they are now in their 1440th year on their religious calendar, on our religious calendar as Muslims. The time for reform is coming. It's going to be bloody. And I would, as an American, not want my sons and daughters, my brothers and sisters in America, fighting in a conflict that is simply related to one internally within Islam. The West knows this all too well. The religious wars of the 16th century 8 million died in 30 years. There were many, many hundreds of thousands that died fighting against theocracy and government. And slowly reform took hold. Is it going to take that long this time? I don't think so. With social media and very, very different situation than we had in the 16th century with Christianity, 21st century with Islam, I think, will ultimately have an accelerant, which is... The media, as we saw with dictatorships that fell in 2011, those dictatorships that fell yielded vacuums that then allowed the beginning of civil society that did not exist. But then they were decimated, many of them, by recurrence, resurgence of insurgents, of Islamists and more fascist military resurgences like the Ba'athists and the Khomeinists and others. This will continue to be back and forth until ultimately, hopefully, the good rise up as victors over the evil. Who are the good? Those that believe in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Back to Afghanistan. In Afghanistan, ownership is perception. We turned on a dime, and now we've left the world more at risk because we did not control the narrative, which we could have. The narrative was everything. It wasn't that somehow we were going to protect all Afghani women from the Taliban, but we could have empowered them to say, you know what, here's your football. You're holding on to it. You have it. But on every front, we failed in departure. We bungled the final lap in Afghanistan. Technologically, we didn't leave them with eyes and ears to be able to know where the Taliban were. So they took off their uniforms. They could not fight because they didn't know where they were. We taught them local police work. But I'm hearing and reports are aplenty that we were abysmal in teaching them how to do technological intelligence on the ground. And then we also didn't teach them how to keep their community safe. We had 2,500, 3,000 troops there. That's it. And we were able to tamp down the Taliban for years without a single life lost because we had air support. How was the Afghani government and its military going to do air support in our absence? It turns out we left hundreds of airplanes, But now the Taliban has them. I mean, this makes Saigon and our departure there look like a picnic. This is horrific. But it's a sign when you wonder why we lost against the jihadis. We were so dysfunctional because of our politics. We were so dysfunctional because of our lack of focus and our lack of laser understanding of what the cancer was that we were working with the Islamists to give us advice. We were uh, uh, fighting with one hand tied behind our, our back when it came to fighting against the Taliban. We didn't decimate them. They didn't suffer an absolute loss, which is what they should have. So they thought they could keep coming back. And then into that vacuum that we left on a dime comes in more ISIS that wants to declare and is forced to declare their brand. Why forced? Because an opportunity, they see it as coming from God. They see this as a a sign that their 72 virgins are waiting for them because America vanished overnight in 10 days, so they need to do something. But it seems like we never understood the way they think. We never understood how patient and how urgent they act despite our 20-year clinic since 9-11. Will the women of Afghanistan be left to suffer, to be tortured? Afghanistan, by the way, was never this leading world place for women's rights in the past few years. We, we brought significant improvements there. The U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom did repeatedly have them on their watch list. Not a country of particular concern, which is the worst categorization, but second to that is a watch list of countries they're particularly worried about. So even with our occupation, they were still limping. They were still subject to tribal conflicts and sharia impositions. But... Their women's soccer team, their robotics team, their uh, uh, journalists, company owners, store owners, independent entrepreneurs that are women, grew, existed, and got degrees, trying to get back the way it was before the Mujahideen took over in the 70s. and trying to bring a more modern interpretation of Islam. Some people have asked me, what has the American Muslim community said? They must just be horrified. So I would divide that into two groups. Are we talking about the Islamist lobby? the American Muslim Islamists, the Brotherhood graduates. Ilhan Omar is a good example, right? She came out of their farm team, claims to lead American Muslims. On the day 13 American soldiers were slaughtered by Islamists, by America's enemies, she posted a picture of 9-11 trying to, to make some kind of bizarre point about some people did something because she had to own up to the fact that she wouldn't recognize Al-Qaeda as Muslims, as Islamists. She since deleted that tweet because of how embarrassing it was, but it is joined by hundreds of other tweets she's had, calling our troops, our troops in Somalia terrorists, calling our work anti-humanitarian and genocidal, as she does with Israel also in her anti-Semitic training. The majority of American Muslims, I think, reject the Islamist narrative. The Islamist narrative this week of the lobby is to either be quiet, or actually I think they are celebrating. And I know that sounds harsh, but listen... These are folks that relish in American conspiracy theory, anti-American conspiracy theories, that America's the cause of things, America's the root problem, etc. This is the far-left progressivists and why they work with folks like Louis Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam and why they deplore our troops, want to defund our police. They cannot stand American strength and the fact that we stand for liberty and liberation of individuals that share our values. And instead, they they see no harm from the Chinas, the Venezuelas of the world, that AOC and others defend Maduro and Venezuela as being a democratically elected president, according to her. Yeah, seriously. So American troops, if they're going to leave between with their tail between their legs on a dime, thanks to the president they elected they're going to be quietly, quietly happy about the fact that that means that it'll be much less likely that American troops and strength will come back. That ultimately their subservience to socialists, far leftists, progressivists, and Islamists around the world will be able to continue and will be able to grow and will weaken America. That's what the Islamists believe. Now, the majority of American Muslims reject that. They came here for freedom and liberty. If they're immigrants, if they're born here, or multiple generations from America, they reject the notion that America's military is anything but a force of good. Yes, have they made mistakes? Absolutely. Have they strategically bungled? Absolutely. Absolutely. But they believe that America is a force of good, be it when we sacrifice blood and treasure to end Saddam's bloody regime or whether it was to end the Taliban's initial end in 2001, Now only to hand it back. You know, I believe the silent majority are embarrassed for our country. They didn't want to see America and its ideas on its heels because when America is on its heels, the ideas of the Muslim reform movement, of liberalism, of muscular liberalism, are also on their heels. And the Islamists will try to fill that vacuum. And the Islamists are going to continue to push forward in our mosques and elsewhere because now they see our reform movement also on its heels, that American Muslims that support the military, that are pro-American, are going to have a harder time speaking up in our communities. Where the American military cannot seem to do good, at left Afghanistan worse than it found it. That's the narrative that's going to be pushed through. It might not be true right now, But it's going to be true in a few weeks. It's going to be worse than we found it. And that's when Osama bin Laden was there. The narrative of liberty received a major loss and the Islamists that are trying to continue to influence our country in the West from Qatar to Turkey are going to be empowered. They're going to see a gap and a tipping point of American withdrawal and weakness. And I'll remind you, I'm not saying that we should have stayed there. But the method in which this was done created this narrative. Ownership is prop, is perception, is the narrative. We got here. We are where we are today because the U.S. never helped reformist Muslims on the ground, never helped... Muslims who share our values and take sides in the battle within the House of Islam. But in fact, we actually helped their theocrats because of the network through other regimes, because of the lack of political will, and because of the left bond with wokeism and Islamism. This was the final clinic in that. This clinic in Afghanistan is the final clinic in what a war not waged can mean to American security. And listen, the next few years, I'm sad to say there's going to be more push. may not be through terror attack, it may be, but the ascendancy of political Islam, we should be waging a Cold War the way we did against the Soviets. That Cold War should be against political Islam and its many formulations. At nation states, it would include Iran, Turkey, Qatar, Pakistan, Afghanistan now, with the Taliban. And on the ground, it should include Islamist movements, the Muslim Brotherhood, Jamaat Islamiyyah, and every Islamist viral movement that we should identify as an anathema to humanity and to human rights. As we get closer to the anniversary of 9-11, it's going to be time for thought, reflection, Rebuilding a strategy. Nobody ever thought that we need to have a military solution to this. The military solution is to wipe out the radicals, the militant cells, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, Taliban. But the foreign policy, the forward solution of public pressure, media engagement, civil society should be waged against political Islam and waged with a muscular liberalism, forward thinking, forward advancing. Our public diplomacy arms need to be reawakened. Our U.S. Information Agency needs to be reawakened. America the way we used to know it needs to be reawakened because we stand not only for our national security and our freedom, our own freedoms, but we are a beacon of liberty for everybody. We shouldn't waste the money. The money, the only money we should put into those groups globally should be that which will be paid back through an investment through helping them build free markets. So we protect those that share our values and then we, through investments, help them grow. Not through throwing into the drain tax money and military dollars. That's not the way to win wars. We never fought and shot a bullet against the Soviets and their union dissolved when the wall came down in 89. May the same happen to every Islamic state on the planet. When Islamic states no longer exist globally, you will have won. And their Islamic movements, we will have begun to see the sunlight over the horizon Of liberty over political Islam. This is your faithful American patriot, American anti Islamist correspondent, Zudi Jasser. Find me on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D R Z U H D I J A S S -S E R, and also at Reform This Radio. Share this podcast with your friends. Tune in. We'll be back soon. God bless. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.